Hi, this is Oscar. This is Sanjana. And this is Hayden. You are listening to Daily Discoveries, and we are part of the Daily at the University of Washington, and this is the podcast where we discuss new discoveries in Science Weekly. Hello, everybody. This week on the Daily Discoveries, we're going to talk about some well, not artificial sweeteners, but natural non-caloric sweeteners. Specifically, we're going to be discussing a paper called Natural Sweeteners and Sweetness Enhancing Compounds Identified in Citrus Using Efficient Metabolomics-Based Screening Strategy. And this is out of the Wang Group from the Citrus, oh, sorry, Citrus Research and Education Center at the University of Florida. And so in kind of the broad terms, right, we have a little bit of an obesity epidemic occurring, well, in America and globally. And part of that is just due to the high input of calories from sugars. And so, and you know, an option are these non-caloric, these non-caloric sweeteners. And so the reason it's important is sugar and sweet flavorings makes food tasty. And, you know, we've started introducing these artificial non-caloric sweeteners. So things like aspartame or sucrin are all things that can induce or sorry, enhance sweetness in foods, but they also introduce these weird like off flavors. Like it's why you drink diet drinks and they just kind of taste a little different. Um, and not only that, but consumers like to see things as like naturally flavored versus the artificial flavorings. You know, natural flavors can still be, it's still like an isolated compound, but I, I guess that the term natural really just makes us feel good about things. And so things like stevia and monk fruit have been used, but they still are kind of off flavory and they can maybe cause some GI distress if you eat too much. Another option in the past has been these sweetened proteins, um, but they kind of are hard to produce in high yields. And so, well, and the final option again are these things called positive allosteric modulators. And what these do is these are uh, molecules and they'll bind to our taste receptors. So the things that allow us to taste sweetness. And when they bind to it, basically what happens is they reduce the binding energy. So all that means is that we can have less sweet, like we can eat a compound with less sweet molecules in it and it'll taste more sweet. So basically we need less sweetness to taste the same amount. Um, I, th those are things I believe like Miracle Berry, I think is a, type of these positive allosteric modulators, but I might be wrong in that. Do you guys know? I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but that sounds, yeah, um, that would make sense. Yes. I don't know if anybody's Actually, ever tried no. Or is Miracle Berry one of the proteins? I'm not sure. I just remember it made sour taste sweet. <laughs> yes. Anyway, the issue with these PAMs, so these positive allosteric modulators, is there's just not a lot of them discovered that are natural. So they're mostly artificial. And so... Consumers don't really like artificial sweeteners and they're also really expensive. And so those are just, they're not driving high industrial production. And so what they, this paper kind of turned to is this idea that citrus fruits in particular, or fruit in particular, but specific, specifically citrus can have these non-volatile compounds. So they're not the aromatics. So like if you squeeze the peels of oranges, you get aromatics. These are not those uh, aromatics and that the citrus fruit might have molecules that are non-caloric sweeteners. But the issue in the past has been really low abundance. And so we really can't find them or take advantage of these non-caloric sweeteners. And so 
this paper is kind of a methodology paper, really, more than anything, and lays this foundation for future papers to really do a discovery, uh, more discovery. And so what they did in this paper is they used uh, metabolomics. So they used a mass spectrometry-based approach. And basically, the beauty of mass spectrometry is you can have a, a very small amount of your compound in the sample. So say, you know, you squeeze. It's actually funny if you read the methods on this paper. You know, they have a part of it that was like oranges were carefully peeled and then squeezed. So I'm just picturing some, I don't know if it was an undergrad or some grad student and their day in the lab was squeezing oranges. Beautiful. But anyway, so in that sample of orange juice, right, some very, very small percentage is going to be these non-caloric sweeteners. And with mass spec, the mass spectrometry mass spec, you're actually able to pick those out. And so they, it's a two-phase type study. And so the first one is untargeted. So they really had no idea what was in the sample. And so they have this in-house library of previously characterized, I would assume, previously characterized artificial sweeteners or natural sweeteners. And what they're doing now is they're going to get all this data from the mass spec. So they're going to run their samples through. They're going to identify all of these different compounds. And then they're going to match them to their in-house library. And so what this is going to do is going to identify potential compounds. And from this, they were able to identify eight, eight potential non-caloric sweeteners. They then took these eight and they were able to run targeted metabolomics. So all this is now is, okay, we understand what masses we're looking for. So the whole thing with mass spectrometry is you're able to just look at the mass or the size of your compound. And so what you can do then is filter by the size. And so they were able to filter out their eight compounds and look at you know, how much of there was in the sample. Um, there wasn't really all that much. And so that was kind of the two-step process that potentially could be used going forward to identify new uh, sweeteners. And so the six, sorry, of the eight they discovered, they were all previously characterized sweeteners. They'd been discovered in other places, either they'd been synthesized artificially or they had been discovered in other extracts from different plants. And so they discovered six just non-caloric sweeteners one bitterness inhibitor, which I thought was kind of fun, and then one of the sweetness enhancers. But yeah, the, the paper overall is really just kind of, as I mentioned, a methodology paper. So going forward, can we screen fruit for our non-caloric uh, sweeteners or maybe low-calorie sweeteners? What do you guys think? Yeah, I, think I thought it was... No, yeah, I was just going to say, I thought it was very interesting how they were able to use this method and identify previous sweeteners. Uh, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. 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 I'd be, and it's also, I'd, it's interested how many, uh, it's interesting, like how many different sweeteners can be within one fruit. I don't know how yeah. much these other sweeteners actually contribute to the sweetness of an orange, for example, or whether, I don't know, sugar or sucrose is the main sweetening compound. I'm not sure. Or if like, the properties of like the sweetness of an orange, like the, the flavor profile that we get from that, is it the combination of these sweeteners? I'm not sure. I don't know. And also these PAMs, I think that, in my opinion, at least, is the coolest thing, the positive allosteric uh, modulators. Because yeah. that way, I mean, people have this lovely relationship with sucrose. They love it. And so if people like people that don't like to replace sugar with anything, if we can find a good PAM molecule, that we can just add to stuff without changing any flavor or without changing any health benefits or whatever, then 
we can have stuff with just way less sugar, but it's still really sweet. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I totally agree with you there. The Pams are, I, I had never heard of a Pam before. And well, that's not necessarily true. I'd never heard of it in this context before. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, can we reduce, have basically reduced the calories in food by cutting out sugar, but through the use of these Pams, keep the food as sweet or as tasteful as it was before. Exactly. And not change I, the, the like flavor profile of the food. Yeah. I think this paper is also really interesting in that they used an in-house library and they identified previously known compounds, but they didn't really identify anything new. I thought something interesting was um, you mentioned they found like a bitterness inhibitor. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about how it could remove about like 40% of the bitterness of like caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So people can drink really strong coffee, but if they don't like the bitterness of yeah. it, it sounds like instead Starbucks of using like sugar in their coffee, they could use this. Yeah. I, you know, Starbucks could just start using these bitterness inhibitors instead of, instead of all the sugar in their coffee, or maybe just combine them both and you just end up drinking like a hot cocoa with <laughs> you know, a quad shot hot cocoa. Yeah. It could also be like a, business tactic they just add this to like their shots so then you have to order more shots for like a stronger taste yeah. oh that would be that would be terrible i would just be <laughs> sitting there i'd be like wow this americano really really doesn't taste as good as it used to it's also oh i did have a question actually what's up so they i mean i've heard this before like all these like artificial sweeteners or whatever or sweetener replacements they're 400 times more sweet as sucrose or a thousand more times. And they yeah. said that they determined this through a trained taste panel. So I'm curious, I'm just curious, like how are they able to determine if something is a thousand times more sweet or does that have to do with the actual binding affinity with the, the sweetener or the taste receptor? I mean, I, I can't say for, for a fact, I'd assume that, you know, you might have, a combination of both of them. Now, it was probably also the amount of sugar that they, or like the amount of compound they gave to the taste panel. So if you give one 1,000th and the people say it tastes the same, then maybe that's- Oh uh, yeah, that's crazy though. It's crazy how much more sweet they are than sucrose. They also said that they identified two chemical groups responsible for sweet taste. It's carbonyl yes, and hydroxyl. Is that what you're yeah, mentioning? Wait, where is that? I somehow managed to miss this. Where is this in the paper? Um, it's the section titled Sweetness, Potency, Biosynthesis, and Application Aspects of Identified Sweeteners and Sweetness Enhancing Compounds. It's the fourth paragraph. Okay, right on. In the intro? In the article. Oh, yep, I see what you mean right there. It's for the Hernandolcian and the 4-beta-hydroxyhernandolcian which are two of these natural products that, yeah, they were originally from this citrus plant. And then you had some chemists working on it and they discovered the two groups responsible, the carbonyl and the hydroxyl group. Now, I wonder if that's just for the Hernandolcian and the 4-beta-hydroxyhernandolcian, or if that's just a typical structural like component of these compounds. Yeah. It would be, in fact, interesting to know what the the needed groups are i mean i'm sure you could do a biochemistry experiment some biochem experiments to determine you know how 
what the binding is to these receptors, to these taste receptors, and then right. how can we optimize that binding? Yeah. But then at that point, are you making it synthetic? Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but I mean, they also, they were also talking about, sorry, I'm like kind of switching topic here, but they were talking about how they were, um, they wanted to optimize the, or they possibly could optimize the genetic profile of the fruit that they're yeah. producing to be more sweet or yeah, whatever, less bitter, knowing yeah. these different sweet compounds. Well, it was interesting because they had mentioned that if you looked at, because so these are from a 2019 and 2020 crop. So you have these fruit from 2019 and a fruit from 2020. And they found that in 2020, I believe, the fruit, like the content of these nat these natural sweeteners were much higher. Yep. The content in 2019. And I don't know if it's for all of them. From I think, yeah, I think it just, they were saying that like based on the, like there's different factors that affect, affect the growth yeah. and the biosynthesis of different of these sweeteners sweet compounds so yeah so yeah can you optimize for that and to do that you would have to understand a little bit about how they're made so what proteins are involved in the biosynthesis which i don't they didn't really get into that at all no as far as yeah well yeah i shouldn't say they didn't get it they, they didn't get into it at all they just no. said here's what we found we have no idea how it's we didn't, yeah. they didn't go into you know how it was made and whatnot but if they did like a next gen sequence of it, then potentially. Yeah, I think it would with be. With some effort. I don't know if that's worth it. Or is it is it just better to try to optimize the conditions with what the fruit are grown in? I don't know which would be more um, effective. They should yeah. probably make like an experiment to see how different factors would affect the sweetness. Yeah. Like different environmental conditions, you mean? Like sunlight? Yeah, because that's what yeah. they mentioned um, affected the biosynthesis. Yeah, yeah. But I wonder, yeah. like, if you could make a more drastic difference changing the genetic profile as well. But yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, you could even do something like a combination where you use different temperature or different environmental factors to basically you would use different environmental factors and then do like a transcriptomics. So looking at how does the uh, the genetic profile or what genes are expressed change with different environments and how does that affect the production of these compounds and then you can start to kind of whittle down what what genes you actually think are responsible for the production of these compounds yep yeah i would imagine though that would probably be a little bit of a, a difficult experiment given given that these i mean maybe you could grow these trees in a lab i don't know how much citrus trees would like that but all right folks do you guys have any other comments on oh yeah i was just about to i just thought of something i didn't realize how big the industry was for citrus fruit oh yeah it's huge <laughs> that was crazy I mean, they said that florida alone like annually gets like almost a billion dollars from selling what? like citrus fruit yeah it's crazy i mean do you know like it's, apparently it's the, morning? that's like the biggest like citrus fruit is the biggest oh i don't know actually if it was like the biggest selling fruit or something but i don't know it's pretty crazy i did not know that the sheer number well it was funny because they mentioned earlier in the paper the income from like the artificial sweetening or the sweetener industry which was like almost i think 40 million and you're like oh okay and they're like and the citrus in Florida was almost a billion in revenue. And you're like, wow, 
that's that's crazy. Yep. But yeah, other than that, I don't know. I think it was a pretty cool article. I like I enjoyed reading it, to be honest. Yeah, it was very as I said, pretty light. Very, so I guess very much so a, a methodology paper. I'll be interested to follow how much this I think that it's it can be relatively difficult to do discovery based on targeted metabolomics. One, you can't it's hard to get like different stereochemistries from so like what the molecule shape actually is. Mm-hmm. And so how much discovery like discovery of new compounds can you do with this? I think it'll be interesting to follow that. Yeah, and maybe they have to use other strategies than MassSpec. Okay, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to Daily Discoveries.